Welcome to Our Plant Stories. And I wanted to start with a thank you to Laura and Linda for supporting the podcast by buying me a coffee on the website. And Linda has also shared where in the UK we can buy a Peas Goods non-such apple tree. I'll put the link on the website. If you are enjoying these podcasts and want a bit of a behind-the-scenes view, I send out a weekly blog every Friday. So you'll get snippets about what I'm recording, the stories I'm following. Just go to the homepage and you can join. Today, we have a bonus episode. Back in programme eight, we were in the Manor House Garden in Hemingford Grey, not far from Cambridge, looking at some wonderful topiary crowns and orbs, which had been shaped for Queen Elizabeth's coronation. Today, let me take you to Levens Hall in the Lake District, and topiary that was designed in 1694, when William III, known as William of Orange, was on the throne. I hope if you haven't already listened to the topiary plant story, this will inspire you to do so. You'll get plenty of advice there on how to plant a yew bush and shape it, but I will share with you here what seems to be like one key piece of advice from head gardener Chris Crowder, who has spent a lifetime doing this. It's far easier to do abstract shapes than geometric shapes, and the worst possible thing anybody can do is matching pairs of geometric shapes, or a series of them down an avenue or whatever, or a line of things that all are meant to look the same, because they never, ever will. Um, so that's, those are the usual rules. Oh, and the other thing is, uh, generally, don't tell anybody what it is. Because <laughs> uh, if you, once you say, oh, that's a bird, or that's a, <laughs> a space rocket, I'm sure you'll get never-ending uh, comments and help, helpful suggestions how to make it more so. So we first talked when we were making the programme about topiary and Lucy Boston had come to this garden as a child and that is what had inspired her when she created the garden at the manor to plant yew bushes and then to create these extraordinary crowns and orbs for the Queen's coronation and you said in the autumn we clipped them and I thought oh that sounds exciting mm-hmm. can I come and take a look and um, here we are absolutely well we've started clipping and uh, yeah you could have come any time over the next month or two because we we start and then we just carry on we work our way around the lot but I should say well you're on about inspiration I came here I've been here 37 years not quite as a child when I came here but uh, I've been here a long time and after a, a little while I was inspired to plant some more and just where we stood these are some of the ones that I planted as little uh, little like 18 inch high toddlers uh, maybe 15, 20 years ago now, and as you can see, they're bigger than us and on their way to adding to the collection here. Uh, everybody knows that I, I'm the one they're that yours. clips them every year. I know what, where I'm going with them. Uh, uh, it's that sense, uh, and it's the same with some of the other ones, that uh, I know where I'm going with them. And it's better, I think, um, if uh, for that sense of continuity, if the same person clips them each year, because you know, uh, you know what changes they are and you get used to them and... Uh, can coax them in the right direction perhaps because uh, nature's always trying to go one way with the topiary and uh, you're trying to make something else of them Uh, so it's good if uh, the same person clips these things each season. So how old were you when you first came then? I think I was uh, 23. I was nob a lad as they say around here and uh, I came as head gardener 
uh, and I found my feet and uh, I've carried on. <laughs> so you've stayed here? Uh, yeah. Ever um, since? Ever since, yeah. In fact, we've just uh, come into the garden, just in this corner, that's the house I live in, that's the head gardener's house, and that's where I've uh, lived with my family uh, through that time. So uh, a very short commute into the garden, a step out the door and I'm here. <laughs> Can you remember your first impression when someone opened the gate and you walked in here as a 23-year-old? Uh, no. <laughs> I say if, I can't, if it didn't happen this morning, I don't remember at all. <laughs> I'm getting a bit like that. Uh, I, I expect I was just uh, amazed and astounded, and I probably... I, uh, yeah, I do remember that I didn't think uh, I was either up to it or, or could be part of that historical thing. That, though that's what I wanted to do, is uh, a garden with some history and some continuity. And uh, that's what I have done. I'm the continuity here now for <laughs> quite and tell a long me about time. continuity here. This is a garden with incredible continuity, isn't it? Yeah, it, the garden was laid out in the 1690s by uh, Guillaume Beaumont, uh, a French garden designer. He came here as the first head gardener and they built the house I live in. That was known as Beaumont's house. It was built for him and I'm the 10th head gardener since Beaumont. So uh, there's continuity uh, and the trees he planted, the pathways. Uh, we've got records of, of all this in the house, uh, dusty receipts of what they paid the, everybody for doing every little bit in the garden and, and uh, beds being dug out and the trees being planted. Uh, so we've got the history and uh, the, the trees, we've had that uh, hands-on continuity uh, with the garden. They've been clipped for 300 odd years now and I've done my bit for the last 30 odd. <laughs> and are these the oldest clipped topiary trees you would find in this country? I think, yes, it's believed uh, It's believed they are. It's the oldest topiary garden or the best or the most extensive uh, because not for so much it was it wasn't particularly special at the time. There's huge craze really for topiary uh, these uh, clipped trees but in the 1690s but like most fashions they change and uh, with clothes it goes quite fast with gardens it goes slower but by the 1700s came along nobody wanted this old style anymore they pulled them out in favour of uh, capability brown um, landscape parks with lakes and trees and a very natural look so uh, this has become a thing because it's a survivor why did it that survive time. why did it not happen here uh, they never changed it here in a way because uh, the the eldest son of the house, um, uh, he predeceased his father, they went to the, the, the daughter, she was very fond of it, but also she married and ended up at a bigger house somewhere else. So it's that, that family chance that in the big house was another house elsewhere in the country. That's where they were following fashion uh, and changing the garden around. Here was a sort of backwater. It was either somewhere they visited for a month or two or somewhere they put in an ageing relative. Uh, it, it wasn't the main event for the family, so there was no impetus to change it. And so it, it actually went through the whole of the 1700s, not being particularly fashionable, but not being uh, particularly changed. It, it just dribbled through. And uh, by the time the early 1800s came along, I think there was a revival of sorts in old things. People wanted to make themselves history if they didn't have it. Uh, and that came in, uh, into gardens as well as everything else. But here it was the real deal. It wasn't a recreation. It was one, it was a survivor from an earlier time, even then. I love this one, by the way. 
this one here. Oh. I've done this side. <laughs> this is the great umbrella. This is the biggest topiary tree in the garden, and uh, some would say the oldest, but it's certainly part of that 1694 planting. Uh, it's got a much bigger trunk than the rest because it's got a bigger top and uh, that's what we find the more top the, the faster it grows uh, trunk and around the base of the trunk uh, there's a hexagonal seat so uh, it looks like an old-fashioned umbrella it's called the great umbrella and actually acts like an umbrella you can sit on there and stay dry uh, when it rains because it sort of sheds the rain for a little while not forever but uh, certainly uh, summer showers and uh, the starts of winter rain you can stay dry in there and I have clipped this side already, we've been up the hydraulic lift and uh, it's about nine metres high. Uh, start at the top and work my way down uh, and tomorrow I think I'm going to drive the machine round to the other side and uh, have a go from there. How long will it take you to clip this one in total, just uh, out of the hours? It, it probably takes, uh, this one's two days, it's, it's a lot. Uh, uh, it takes a day, I've done one side, it was all day job. Um, and the other side is probably the best part of uh, another day. Most of the pieces of topiary here are about uh, half a day or a day each, uh, and then there's great lengths of hedge going off into the distance that uh, our clipping doesn't stop when we've finished on the topiary garden, and neither does the work. One or two of them have had a new names added, if you like. Somebody said, oh, it looks like such and such, and there is sticks. In a way, it's just a way for us to navigate around the garden, but we've got... Uh, Homer Simpson is one of these big ones up there, and uh, Tweedledum and Tweedledee. We've got a couple of pyramids, a top hat. Somebody called that Darth Vader once, and the uh, name stuck. Uh, and I'm just working away on uh, the Henry Moore sculpture, which was a lot more formal once, but it's sort of uh, rounded off and it's changing its shape slightly. They are enormous. I mean, they really are like a presence in the garden, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely, and uh, yes, they, they're the permanent things in the garden. Uh, they are here when we clear the beds. Obviously, there's flowers here in the summer, there's visitors, there's a slot. Uh, and the topiary is always here, and uh, it's, it's always here through the generations. Uh, I'm, you and me are here now. Uh, they've been there for centuries, and uh, they've watched the people walk around underneath them and look up at them and... Uh, and yeah, it's, it's, I think it's that, uh, uh, if you like, the social history of these. They aren't, they aren't just trees that were planted 300 years ago to form a landscape and we admire them. They've actually, uh, people have worked on them every year, every season, for th that whole period of 300 years. So we're, we're the last in the, uh, the line of doing that and we'll hand it on in the fullness of time uh, to the next generations. So do you feel a bit like you're standing on the shoulders of other gardeners who've gone before you? Oh, absolutely, yes, yeah. Uh, we're only, uh, <laughs> we're doing our bit now and uh, th these shapes are because somebody's done the same thing uh, through their lifetimes before. And it's whole lifetimes, that it's that sort of uh, uh, scale of things here. Um, so the, the garden changes very, very slowly. Even these box pieces, they date back to the 1820s, I think, and they're, they're human size. I quite like some of the shapes that are more... Uh, the scale of people, in fact that one's uh, called Queen Elizabeth and, uh, and we see her arm sticking out and maybe a crown on her head and that sort of thing. So uh, we like clipping those but 200 years and you can see those in uh, old paintings and etchings and that sort of thing in the house from that era and they're the same shape, the same place, uh, and, uh, they've hardly changed. You'd think they grow a bit bigger or, uh, but them in particular they don't seem to have changed at all. Uh, they seem amazingly timeless. <laughs> Are there others that have changed over time? 
Absolutely. I mean, the one I'm working on now, we call it the Henry Moore. Some of these things flop out over time. They can't support the weight and uh, uh, they start to lose the shape and we can either fight and fill them full of bits of wire and twist them together and continue to fight with against nature or we can let them uh, just become looser and uh, so that's particularly what we did with this one it was more of a, a formal bell shape I suppose but it's flopped in all directions uh, and we thought we'd go with it one year instead of fighting nature we'd go with it so we've rounded all the outlines and we've got a very uh, uh, sculptural piece now with a very no uh, sharp edges anywhere all rounded Talk me through the process then that goes on now in terms of how you trim this. How do you cut it? How do you shape it? What do you shape it with? Uh, we usually start to trim the topiary in September. You can, if you had a few pieces, <laughs> less than us, and plenty of time, you could trim them earlier on in the year and uh, you could then do them twice or three times because they grow again in the season. But if we wait till September, we find that the best time because uh, they won't grow again. We've done them and they stay done till maybe the following June. So it's good for us. And also because we trample on the flower beds, we don't want to start trampling on flower beds in the summer. We wait till the uh, back end of the season and uh, it's less damaging to the rest of the garden. Uh, and really we start, on September the 1st, we get a big hydraulic lifting to do the ones, we do the highest pieces. But it's the same process for any of them, really. We start at the top and work down the shape. I have used hand shears on some of the topiary, which is nice, and it's nice to pose. <laughs> nice to use hand shears, but uh, in reality we use uh, battery electric clippers now, uh, and long-reach clippers um, for virtually everything. Um, and depending how high off the ground it is, we'll use either the hydraulic lift for the highest, uh, scaffolding for the medium ones, or a little hop-up uh, to help us uh, get a little height for even some of the small ones. Um, and we start at the top and clip off the whole of this year's growth. So it's a smoothing uh, process, going from one direction and, and crossing to a different direction. So we, we have no, uh, we can't see where the shears have been. Every cut's blended into the next one, so the surface uh, is nice and smooth. And then uh, last of all, we've, we usually carry a stick with us, a little cane, and we give the uh, bush a, a good thwacking to knock off all the, uh, all the bits which would otherwise turn brown and uh, haunt us. And it flicks out any bits that are just about to pop out when we turn our backs or if the wind blows. If we uh, give the bush a little thwack, uh, it'll knock those out so we can clip them and uh, move on without fear of them sticking out to haunt us for the rest of the season. <laughs> Do you sometimes get to the end of a bush and you suddenly kind of turn around and see there's little bits sticking out that you've missed? Well, funny you should say that. There's one at the top of that crown there. There's a crowned arch just there, which is uh, quite a big piece. And uh, I did it uh, last week or the week before. Uh, and somebody pointed out there's actually right at the top of the very top of the crown, the most obvious piece of all, uh, one of these little shooters has come slightly undone and flicked out. So uh, fortunately we've still got the hydraulic lift and we'll be trundling past it tomorrow. So uh, I'll just stop off and uh, get that little bit. But often uh, what happens is the wind will blow in the winter when we've clipped everything to perfection. Everything's smooth and then we'll get a gale rattle through here. Uh, and that's when uh, some of these shoots will blow out sideways. The lift, hydraulic lift's gone and we just have to look at the things then till the following season. Sometimes pieces die and uh, if we're quick we can spot a piece of shoot, a part of a bush going brown. Sometimes it's a piece of wire that's twisted round, somebody's pulled it back a generation ago to help make the shape uh, and over time that's cut into the bark and uh, if we're quick we can remove the wire and the shoot turns green again but if we're too slow well that's a, a hole in the bush.
So are there wires? If we were to look in here, there will be potentially wires in these trees? Some of them have wires, some of them have frameworks, uh, but very few really. And, and if there is wire, we'll, we will try and remove it because it seems more damaging to me than uh, useful. Uh, and if a, if a piece is such that it's falling apart and you need wires to hold it together, it's time really uh, to cut it hard back. And there's an example of one that we've actually done that with. That piece was so large you couldn't get around this pathway and you couldn't get past it down that pathway. These things do grow ever so slightly every year, even if we try and take them back to zero. Uh, and after decades or centuries, uh, they can get too big to get past or the shape's lost. So we took a chainsaw to it and... Uh, It'll be 10 years before it gets back to a smaller version of itself, but that's, it'll be good then for the next few hundred. Because you at 300, uh, you can last a 1,000, so um, uh, you at 300 is not so old. So we can rejuvenate the shape if we need to by cutting them hard back because it does respond. It sprouts again from the old wood uh, and we can make a small shape again from a, a big old tree. I love that sense of perspective. You just said, oh, about 10 years. I mean, we live in a world, don't we, of slightly kind of wanting it to be instant and quick and we don't go, plant this in about 10 years' time, it'll look great. You know, that's not the world that we live in in some ways. Uh, no, it's not. And that, that's, the, that's the joy and the benefit uh, and the wonderful thing about being here. It's that sense of perspective and the sense of continuity. Uh, these trees weren't planted by me. Uh, and yet I've, uh, and they're, they're doing their thing down through many generations. So I've planted little ewes and they will be doing their thing, adding to the burden of future gardeners, perhaps adding to their clipping, but, but uh, they'll be doing their thing in years to come. So it, it does give me that uh, sense that I can do things and I don't have to see in the result in their entirety immediately. Do you get visitors from all over the world? We certainly do, yes. Um, they uh, do come from all over the world to see this garden. We get a lot of local people, and because we're in the Lake District, of course, we pick up uh, a lot of visitors uh, in the Lake District. Uh, but people do come from afar. And actually, people do contact us from time to time and say, can they come here and can they, uh, will we let them clip the hedges? And uh, I replied to a lady uh, yesterday from uh, New York, wants to come and uh, have a go at the hedges, and we've had... Um, Japanese people uh, and quite a few different uh, European countries have uh, they've come so well if you want to come <laughs> if you can devote the time uh, that's great you can help us in the garden <laughs> and have you traveled yourself teaching other people and uh, yes yeah I've been to uh, yes I've, I've traveled and done talks and that sort of thing uh, America and Japan and Europe and, and stuff in fact the, I, it doesn't count as that but for many years we've been going to uh, Portugal. Uh, I got to know some people in Portugal <laughs> via, via an American visitor in the garden. But uh, yeah, this uh, manor house in Portugal and vineyards and uh, accommodation restaurant. Uh, I take a, take the gardeners from here each year to do, on a, a busman's holiday or the clippers holiday. Uh, they've got a lot of old topiary over there, and uh, we go and uh, we've been shaping it for years. <laughs> uh, we have a nice time in the sunshine, plenty of wine, good food, good company. Uh, and a bit of topiary clipping in between. <laughs> so there's no, no getting away from the uh, work even on holiday sometimes. You said you like shapes and there's a danger that once you've told somebody what you think it is, they may decide that they don't think it is what you think it is. <laughs> yeah. But have you done much where people, you know, near, near to me, there are some elephants clipped into a hedge as you go down towards the uh, tube station. I mean, oh. do you ever do any of that kind of 
That's, uh, that's fantastic in where it's great. There's a few birds in this garden which is more traditional uh, sort of thing. Um, but in the main, the shapes are shapes here. Uh, and we've had, we had a, we were asked to make a squirrel uh, for a red squirrel charity event here. So we made a red squirrel, uh, and it was quite nice. I left it for a few years, but I've, let, I've actually allowed it to grow out and, and rounded it off again. And that's the thing: the shape's never a shape forever, unless you continue to make it that shape forever. So we've changed that completely from being a squirrel because I, I think that's not what this garden's about. And so it's becoming uh, uh, a more suitable piece of topiary for this old garden. Uh, and Actually, a Japanese TV programme came here a few years ago and they had a guy that uh, was working as the apprentice here. And uh, in the end, he made this uh, origami uh, crane and said, can he make... He didn't speak English, but he gestured that's what he wanted to make at the end of the, the week. So we uh, made a, a bird. Uh, and for some years, actually, people had seen the programme in Japan and they always wanted to find this uh, origami bird, uh, or this crane. In the garden but again we've that's the wrong thing for this garden so it's we've got now something else yes I chopped its head and its wings off and <laughs> rounded it off and grew something else um, yeah so animals are great in some places but here I like the uh, this other style of gardening I like that because in a sense mm. it means that these really old pieces that are so kind of venerable and and have been here such a long time and they feel a bit the guardians in mm. a sense they don't have to look down and see fashion sweeping through every other piece mm. that's coming in a new, the newbies yeah. yeah there's a sense of it it has a yeah. there's a there's a there's a style I and think, a feel yeah there's uh some of that, that those sort of topiary shapes can be uh, silly or amusing or whatever and uh, they're great in the right place uh, um but uh, here we we're very lucky that there's a lot of big, these old shapes, they're geometric or they've flopped open as, as shapes. Um, but it's, it's a different style and uh, yeah, we're, we're lucky actually every piece is different in this garden as well. Um, there's no uh, pairs of pieces that have to get one matching the next one to it. Uh, and in a way, uh, if they do flop a little or they look a, a bit uh, <laughs> out of shape that's all part of uh, the history they're showing their age and uh, some of them and uh, they're just more eccentric and uh, in their old age as they take on a lean or whatever i have a vision that basically you will always be doing topiary actually even after you possibly retire at some point even will you still I, be doing topiary do i think? don't know actually uh, I, yeah i'm uh, yeah i'm not thinking of retiring in the next couple of years but uh, yeah that's probably the next big thing in my life i'm hopefully uh, I've still got a bit of go in me because <laughs> it's quite hard work a lifetime of uh, being out it's nice today but it's physical work and out in the weather so yeah I hope to re retire before I'm too knackered to do anything else but uh, I don't know about topiary I might miss it I, I do enjoy it I was clipping this piece today and it's it's just you get lost in it it's very um, therapeutic and uh, thing I used to think oh it must be it'd be interesting cutting hair and uh, one of the gardeners many years ago let me have a go and I've never done anything more nerve-wracking in all my life <laughs> trying to cut somebody's hair never again but uh, yeah clipping something and shaping something and, and actually um, uh, doing anything craft wise with your hands is uh, is very therapeutic and uh, very pleasant to do it should be everybody should have something uh, along those lines um, and what would you hope for the garden going forward? Uh, I hope 
the garden carries on. I hope the burden for future generations I've added by planting a few topiary trees, I hope some of them, maybe not all of them, but I hope at least a few of them survive into future generations. I hope more than anything, I know it's uh, an odd thing to say, maybe, but I hope that the next head gardener, whoever takes it on after me, feels they have the same uh, sense of responsibility for the like the history in these venerable old pieces, as you put it. But I hope they have feel they have the same sense of freedom that I've felt since coming here. Um, it has become, if you like, it feels like my garden <laughs> because I'm the one that's doing all the work and the ideas, and uh, uh, and uh, I've gardened it for so long. Uh, and it isn't, and I'll move on. But I hope that that sense of well, this isn't the fashion for today. Let's rip out everything that Chris did, I did, uh, and do it a different way. I hope that they feel uh, able to do that. I may not want to come in and see it, because <laughs> I've grown fond of the way that I've changed it, but I, it is that sense of change and that sense of uh, it is a, the thing for each generation that's so special here. It's, it's not been stuck down in a management plan and it's not, uh, uh, it's not set in a, a restoration book. Uh, this is uh, a garden that has always been gardened and I've had the pleasure of gardening it with uh, my colleagues for the last uh, 30 odd years and hopefully uh, somebody will have the pleasure of uh, reinventing uh, the space under these old trees in the next generation and generations going forward. Thank you for listening today and thanks to Chris for an amazing tour of Levens Hall. Do check out episode 8 if you haven't already and there's a topiary offshoot that takes us inside the manor house and uncovers more of Lucy Boston's story. And for me, a spine-tingling moment listening to Abide With Me on a wind-up gramophone. A new series of Our Plant Stories will begin in January. If you have a story you'd like to share with me, just email me, sally at ourplantstories.com. If you've enjoyed this and would like to leave a review on your podcast app, that would be great. And if you want to support this independent podcast, you can buy me a coffee on the website. And I promise I will not spend it on coffee or plants, but on growing this podcast. Our Plant Stories is presented and produced by me, Sally Flatman. Sally Flatman.